everyone, grace and peace to you all from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is Wednesday, April 29th, and I'm outside because it's been so nice here. Like by outside, I mean I'm in my backyard. Um, that's why you hear the birds chirping, and you might even be able to smell the fresh air. Anyway, uh, we're going to keep our series rolling on hope, and with us today we have uh, the great Pastor Brian Loritz, who is a friend of mine, friend of reality. We um, He came out and spoke this last year, him and I. Uh, have played a couple rounds of golf together, got to know each other over the past few years of him living in the Bay Area. Um, he is an, an incredible uh, writer and uh, speaker, and he has a deep pastoral heart. And um, gosh, I just love, I can, I can listen to, to Brian uh, teach every single day. So I'm really glad that, that he's agreed to do our podcast today. So uh, w- without you know, any further ado, here is Pastor Brian Loritz. Hey, Reality Family, it is Brian Loritz uh, just here wanting to share a word of hope with you uh, in these um, trying circumstances, these unique circumstances that we're in. Um, As I have just, um, like you, trying to engage this new normal, I have found myself deeply encouraged by a passage of Scripture that's tucked away in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 25. Now you'll hear me say the writer of Hebrews without saying her or his name because we just don't know uh, who this person is. A lot of great guesses throughout church history. Could have been Aquila, could have been Paul, but we just don't know. So that's why you'll hear me say the writer of Hebrews. Beginning in verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they do not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will not shake only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So you don't need to spend a day in seminary uh, to, to figure out that, that there's a word that just keeps popping up in our passage. It's the word shake, shaken, shook. Um, same Greek word, New Testament is written in Greek. Um, and this same Greek word was actually used in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and his buddy Silas were in jail, and an earthquake um, shakes the ground. That word for earthquake uh, is the same word that's used in our text. It is, it is something that literally turns your world upside down. Now, I've lived all over the country. I, I lived for years in Memphis. Our family did. I was planting a church there, and Memphis is kind of uh, right in Tornado Alley, and there's tornadoes and storms all the time, and those you could predict. Um, and in fact, they would tell you, go to your basement. Uh, if you don't have a basement, hide out in the pantry. So we would hide out in the pantry. Um, but the uniqueness of an earthquake, you don't really forecast those. And when it happens, there's really nowhere to run. Uh, it, it's the most pun intended, uh, unsettling thing that we can experience. And we're familiar with that here. 
here in California. And so that's the word that he uses in Hebrews chapter 12 to really describe uh, what these people are going through. Now, I want to encourage you to read through the book of Hebrews at some point because there's a lot of correlations between what we're going through now with COVID uh, and the pandemic and, and what the Hebrews were going through. In fact, to get a real flavor for how the ground was shaking beneath them figuratively, you can go to Hebrews chapter 10 and there the writer says, look, man, since coming to Jesus, some of you all, you've had your property confiscated. Others of you, you've been assaulted. Still others of you, um, You've been thrown in prison. Uh, you've had your money taken from you. And and these guys are starting to do the math and just say, you know, since coming to Christ, life just hasn't worked out for me. Life as I've known it has just taken a turn. And I don't know if I want to hang in there. And these individuals are literally on the precipice of just kind of despondence and despair and discouragement, wanting to give up. Their life has been shaken. So is ours. Never in a million years could we have forecasted this. Um, you know, 2020 has just been been a crazy year from Kobe's death to even some things going on uh, in our family, some things um, that we've had to endure. And then all of us are kind of in this pandemic together. These statistics, by the time you hear them, will be outdated. But already almost 3 million people worldwide have been infected with the coronavirus. Almost 200,000 people worldwide have died of the corona coronavirus. Um, life as we know it has just changed. And it feels like that word shaken is just a good word, unfortunately, for us right now. Um, sports, practically no more, although praise God for this 10-part documentary series coming out. Uh, on uh, on Jordan, watched the first couple episodes. That was a great respite, but there's no live sports. Uh, the economy is so unstable. It's going up and down. Um, meetings uh, that we used to have face-to-face -face, uh, for many of us are no more. Um, our freedom has been uh, restricted greatly. And that's not to mention that some of you all listening in, maybe you've been infected with the virus. Maybe many of you all, you, you actually have family members and loved ones who've died of the virus. Life as we know has drastically changed. And so the writer of Hebrews sits down to these people who, like us, life as they know it has drastically changed. He's writing really to give them hope. And to give them hope, um, he, he diverts their attention to Jesus. In fact, um, the whole book of Hebrews can be summed up in five words. Jesus Christ is better than. Uh, chapter one, he tells them, look, Jesus Christ is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. Later on, he's going to talk about how Jesus Christ is better than Moses, that, that luminary figure of the Old Testament. Then he's going to say Jesus Christ is better than the Levitical priesthood and the Old Covenant. You know, under the Old Covenant, you sinned, you took a sacrifice, an animal, a bull, a goat, and you, you offered it. But, but Jesus Christ, the reason why we don't take a bull or a goat anymore, once and for all, he died on the cross, an effective sacrifice. His blood covers every sin we've ever committed, are committing, and will ever commit. Over and over again, he says, Jesus Christ is better than. And then in chapter 12, it reaches the climax. He says in verse 2, I want you to look to Jesus. And then verse 3, consider Jesus. And then now in our passage, he, by implication, says, keep looking to Jesus. He's really hammering home this, 
this idea of perspective and how crucial it is to securing hope in the life of the believer. It's as if he's saying, whatever has your attention will also have your attitude and your actions. So our attention can't be on our circumstances. They've got to be on Jesus. Matthew chapter 14, it's a familiar passage of scripture. Here are the disciples, they're in the boat in the middle of a storm. It's got to be a pretty horrendous one because several of them were fishermen. They're freaking out. And in the middle of all this, out comes Jesus walking on the very thing that's got them frightened. He's walking on the water. I, I wish I had more time. I would want to really hammer home the point that our God is sovereign. Um, none of this surprises him. He's not caught off guard. He can walk on the very things that are unsettling us. That's why we've got to look to, to him. And so in the middle of all this, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. And, and Jesus says, come on, Pete. And Pete gets out of the boat, takes a couple of steps. And I'm like, man, I, I'd love to see his face, the exhilaration and the, the euphoria. And then it's just then where the waves are starting to crest a little higher. The lightning flashes a little brighter. The thunder rolls a little louder. And he freaks out, takes his eyes off of Jesus, looks at his situation. And boy, does he start to sink. He sinks when he loses, when he loses perspective. Viktor Frankl wrote an incredible book uh, that if you haven't read it, I'd really encourage you to read, especially now. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist um, who spent time in, uh, interviewing Jews in Nazi concentration camps, and he was, he was startled at how some Jews just lost hope, um, they were discouraged, they emotionally quit, gave up, and how other Jews just refused to, to sink underneath their, these horrendous circumstances. And so he's analyzing how could these Jews have so much hope in the middle of so much chaos? And in this book, there's a line that just gets me. He says, if, if a person has a why for living, they can stand almost any how. If a person has a why for living, they can stand almost any how. It's this whole idea, this, this whole notion of perspective. So I got to ask you a question I've been confronted with uh, as life has just changed. Um, you know, I mean, my, I'm preaching right now. Uh, I'm, I'm giving a word of hope. I'm talking to a microphone in my house and I'm not face to face with you to talk about how life's changed. All my speaking engagements, I travel a lot. Those are all gone and the financial implications that come with that. I mean, it's just, it's just so much has just changed. And I don't necessarily see a light at the end of the tunnel, but I've got to say to myself, Brian, you, you got to get some hope, and where's your perspective? And so part of what I'm looking at is God's allowed this to happen, and I don't want to go back to life as normal. How can I emerge out of this more like Jesus? And so for me, what that looks like is uh, most mornings I get up and I just do a three-mile walk, and it's really time meditating on Scripture. Uh, it's, it's really time in prayer. I uh, listened to this Christian leader, and he said, in times like this, the most important thing for Christians is to stay encouraged. And if you read the Psalms, um, David oftentimes, uh, he, he talks to himself. And you got to learn to stop 
to stop getting so down on yourself and to encourage yourself. And the primary way that we do this is how can I maximize this moment to look to Jesus, to draw into him um, in, in times of just rich prayer. No, this is not about acting like stuff didn't happen. And we grieve, but the Bible says we don't grieve as those without hope. And so my word of encouragement to you is where's your perspective? Where's your attention? Um, I, I know for some of you, you've lost jobs, but Jesus is still alive. He's on the throne. Draw near to him, James tells us, and he'll draw near to us. May he have our attention in these times. Can I pray for you? So God, these, um, these aren't just kind of trite sayings. This is deeply embedded truth in your word. And I pray, Lord God, that, that at this hour, in this moment, that we would be people of hope, not people of optimism. Optimism is based on how you think things will, will pan out. It's based on circumstances. But hope is anchored in a fixed reality. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, and that hope is Jesus Christ. So may we turn to you. May we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.